Welcome to part two of the Performance Car Podcast with Aussie racing legend John Bow. Enjoy the episode. You drove for DJR yeah. for a very, very long time. It's a very close knit relationship and you know friendship and all that. Was there? But was there? Were you ever tempted away? Was you know now in the as time goes by and we can talk about these things. I mean, did anyone ever come knocking and oh, go, yeah, JB? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Were there, did you ever get close? I no, not really. Not, not really. really. No, no. I um. I got. I, I thought about it. Uh, I was approached several times by Holden Racing Team. Um, Imagine that JB in red. Several times, yeah. And um, I was approached by uh, the late Kent Potter, who was the sponsorship manager for um, Marlborough, stroke Peter Jackson, to drive the Glen Seat several times. So, um, but I never really got. I, I, I contemplated it because I thought it was a good opportunity to earn some more money, to, to be honest. But I mean, you know, there's, there's a few reasons I didn't. Firstly, I was friends with Dick Johnson, and I'm still friends with Dick Johnson. I was part of his family, and I mean, you know, he's he's like all of us. He has, you know, <laughs> good and bad faults, but none of them are, none of his bad faults are bad. Yeah. So I'd had a good relationship. We'd won lots of things together. We'd also had some difficult times together, as in performances. But we'd never had a harsh word. We'd never had an argument, which is pretty unusual. Never had a, a moment where you you know you you spat the dummy. These are always. It must be hard balancing that friendship in because he's also kind of your boss, but he's yes, also yes, your mate. Yes. But you're also racing against each other. Well, Exactly right. I mean, it's hard to balance the desire to do well, which which all racing drivers have. You know, it's inbuilt in you, and the fact that you know, I always remembered whose name it was above the door. You know, always, and and for that reason, I I always treated him with due respect. Uh, the 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 plight of Dick Johnson Racing went up and down with who the people were there. You know, there were some good people, then you lose a couple of people, and then you get some good people back again. You know, and that's what racing teams are like. And uh, you know, one person doesn't make a team, but one ters- person can can glue it all together. So, but overall, those eleven years, we had great great fun. Uh, and one of the reasons I didn't leave also was I would, I, would, I had no idea how I would tell Dick Johnson I was leaving. And I was not even when I did leave. It was like not easy. Yeah. Me, you know, because I'd st- I'd stay at his house. We you know we spent so much time together because we'd go to the track. You know we get there on a Thursday, he'd pick me up at the airport and off we go, you know, it was just, it was a Dick and, Dick and John show, <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like a married couple really. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, it was, uh, when, looking back, uh, it, it was a terrific time and we had, the harder times were, were hard times, you know, we, the, the latter part of the Sierras, we had a difficult time, of course everybody had caught up to us and then Ross Stone came to work there and Ross Stone made a significant difference to that team, and then he got Jimmy Stone there, and he made a significant difference. So when they left to, to form Pack Leader Racing with Alan Jones, there was you know the, we we didn't unravel, but we didn't we weren't the same unit anymore. You know, so that's why I, I look at Dick's team now, and I, I have nothing to do with it other than to say good day to him, and and I'm so pleased for him, even though I know his role is is not in that technical sense um, but I'm pleased that he got to see the team 
come on again, you know. Yeah. And it's only come on because it has the resource. Yep. So obviously, Roger Penske is a very successful man. He knows how to be successful. He's put the right people in place to make sure they've got the resource to be successful. And look, all, all of a sudden, every racetrack they go to, there's there a chance. And, yeah. and at several times in my racing life, every time we went to the track, we knew we were a chance to, to be either be on the podium, be the top step of the podium. So it's a pretty good way to be. Except that when it goes away, it's not real easy to deal with. <laughs> so what happened? It's a lot easier to climb the grid than go back down, down the grid. And Dick had this saying. I mean, I, I have a lot of sayings that I always quote him as. You pass the same people on the way down as you did on the way up. You know, that's a ripper saying, isn't it? Oh, he's a quote machine. He is. He is. He, honestly, I've got so many. I just I call them Dickism. <laughs> um, we'll probably have a. Uh, we've touched on it briefly, but. Post supercars career, adjusting, like you said, that was a tricky time in your life, and I know it's something you are sort of happy to talk about because it is important for many people who go through difficult times. And I think it's maybe good that someone who's seemingly, you know, famous racing car driver, <laughs> you know, he's still human, still got, you know, still got problems to still deal with and problems, issues. Yeah. So, yep. what I guess, touching on it briefly, in the what advice or tips, you know, can you offer to people because it doesn't necessarily go away either. You just have to sort of learn to deal with it, manage it, and you know try and make things better. So, do you have any from what you've learnt talking to people? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I get asked about it a lot, and and I it's not like I thought I was a hero by talking about it. I just I'm a I'm a talker, so I talk yeah. about it. You know, um, I, I continue in some ways to do things for mental illness and depression uh, with the Black Dog Institute, with Beyond Blue. Uh, Pace, who is a, a Sydney um, big property developer that builds entire communities, um, they are very supportive of mental illness and, and they support me through to do things for mental, mental illness. So, um, but I mean, that sounds, sounds like an ad, which I suppose it is, but the thing that everybody has to try and do is, is to seek some help. I mean, yeah. you, know, you can't just live with it on your own. You can't expect your family to, to solve your problems for you because they don't know. For somebody that, say your partner, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband or wife or father or whatever, if they haven't had depression, they don't, they, they, they don't know what to do. They can't help you really other than supportive. So you need to get seek proper professional help, the first thing to do is to go to see your doctor, your normal MD, and and then from there you, you, you end up with whoever they decide, you know, that you need to go and see, but you've got to do something about it. And I, I ignored it for a long time because I was a, you know, let's call it a frontline racing driver in the in the most popular category in the country, and I was well known, and I, I felt like it was a a bad thing to be depressed, you know. So I used to pretend. I used to go to the race meetings and, and act like I was all right. I was not all right. Mm. So. Damon Hill talked about this a lot in his book when he was winning the yes. world championship. Yes, he um, was going through a similar thing. So you never sort of you never know what's behind the it's the facade, you know. Yeah. So so you know, and you become quite good at hiding it. Well, you're better off not to, you know. I mean, it's there's, there's a, there is a lot of mental illness in today's society, and it's not just depression. There's other you know anxieties and various things and it's very complicated but ultimately you need to see a, a psychiatrist really because they understand the workings of the brain much better than 
anyone else does, even though quite often I'm sure they don't understand the working of the brakes <laughs> either. You know, it's a bit like a, a race car engineer will change this, that might fix it. You know, yeah, it might yep. not fix it too. So. Yeah, There's a good story from Dick about that, where um, you guys were at Bathurst in 94, in that book I just read, yeah. and um, this, I think the dampers broke or something, but it actually made the car brilliant. No, no, we, uh, we made a change to them. It was, right. a, it was during our, particularly my damper period, it's like, you know, Pro Hard had a period, he painted certain pictures yeah. of the car, so I had a, a damper period, <laughs> I went through for about 10 years, and uh, Ross Stone was particularly encouraging about stuff like that you know he, he obviously wanted to learn as much as I did so uh, yeah we pulled them out prior to the race and he did some changes to them and uh, we were using Penske dampers yep. I still use Penske dampers in my TCM car um, and we made some changes I know what they were but I'm not going to tell everybody yep. in case they don't know <laughs> and, and it made the car great the car was terrific in that race it was really really good it was funny because uh, we, we had a quick car all, all week, really, but in the shootout, Dick always drove in the shootout, he clipped the wall coming out of the cutting, so he's damaged the car slightly, and so we ended up 10th on the grid. So, race morning, it's raining, it's like this, <laughs> terrible. So, I've, I've struck this before, because every time it rained, he used to make me drive. <laughs> so, I, I went, I'd had breakfast at the track, and then I went off and hid, because I didn't want to get <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I went and found someone I wanted to talk to, so I didn't want to start the race. Lock yourself in the smallest room. Yes, look, yeah. <laughs> I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. So I, um, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I, you know, I know everybody, so I was talking to somebody. And, uh, and Ross Stone found me, and he said, oh, Dick wants you to start. And I said, you know, I uttered a couple of expletives, and I said, no, I'm not going to. It was miserable, like much of it. Anyway. Of course, it's, it's Dick Johnson racing, not John Bauer racing. <laughs> so, so I'm in the car, I'm on the 10th row, there's, sitting on the grid, there's people everywhere, the windows are all steamed up, and I'm looking down onto the front of the grid, and I can't remember who was there, it might have been Scaife or someone in, in a windfield car, and Dick's there with his aqua-coloured Dunlop jacket on. I don't know why Dunlop had aqua-coloured jackets when their colours are yellow, but anyway, he had his aqua-coloured... And him and Jill were down there laughing and joking. <laughs> and I, every now and again, I flick the wipers on and I think, you bastard. <laughs> uh, good time. But it worked out well because you won the race. Well, it did, yeah. So. We, we, had a, we had a good rapport going on. As I said, Ross and Jimmy Stone were there. We had uh, Alan Horsley, you know, of ex-Mazda guru team manager type bloke. He was doing some strip, you know, strategy it was not the days of now they have computer programs that, that basically run their strategy for them. These were, you know, blokes looking at the wind, look at, <laughs> ring up this, <laughs> like where's the wind coming from, and <laughs> ring the shore service station in Orange and see what the weather's like over there. And that's what it was like, truly. So we, 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 we stopped, we changed tyres, we'd stop, changed tyres, we changed tyres so many times, you know, as the track changed. In the end, we were, you know, we had a good car. and, and uh, the secret to Bathurst, even though it's it's a very different race now, it is still, you need a good car at the end. And we had a good car at the end, so. Uh, you, you know, revitalised, as you just mentioned earlier, Touring Car Master sort of got you back behind the wheel in a competitive sense, you know. Yep. Obviously something you love, and rather than Touring Car Masters per se, but what keeps you driving? Because lots of people, lots of racing car drivers, 
they I think they get the buzz from the competition because you see it all the time. They stop driving at ATCC level or Formula One level and go, I don't need that competition anymore. It seems for me that like you've got a competitive streak, but you love driving road I cars, love, driving, I love driving road cars. I love I love driving. I love racing. What I is love, it about driving? That I love you, the people. And you give oh, you the buzz. I don't know, honestly. I mean, if do you I like, go, like sliding cars around, yeah, or you well, like to be neat, or I do a uh, I do a few days a year, not many, but a few days. V8 race experience, so I take people for rides. So, and, and, I, and that's not racing; that's yeah. just driving, basically. You know, at Sandown or Bathurst or Eastern Creek, and I and I love that. I like I, I get a kick out of it so much because people get to see what you do. I think that's what it is. I, I, um, and, and why I love it still is because I just love driving. Yeah, I love the the, the edgy. You know, getting, trying to get the best out of the car. I love the technical bits about where you adjust a bit of this and make the car do more what you want it to do. So, so I, I, you know, I don't know. I know people get over it. I mean, I've tried to get Dick many times to come and have a race in the TCM, but he won't because um, you know I don't know why. He just I think he's over it. You know? yeah, yeah. So although I did get him to come and do a few V8 race experience days, and he actually loved it. So because it's half showing off. You know. <laughs> You shove off in front of people that <laughs> don't know what you, you know, how it works. But um, yeah, I still love doing it. I mean, honestly, I, I want to keep racing forever. Now, obviously, you, you know, you, you can't keep racing really fast cars when you're 85 years old. But well, you know, Steve Blomfist still does all right, and he's in, he's still winning rallies when he's in his early 70s. And oh yeah, I reckon that's that's. Uh, I mean, that's achievable, no no problem. But as long as you stay healthy, I mean. And who knows, you know, where that where your life takes you. Yeah. I don't know, but I have no intention of stopping. And I ho- I try and give value to the people that support me. And I have a number of, you know, companies and sp- sp- I don't like to call them sponsors because I've had them for a long time. They're supporters, and I try and give them value so they keep supporting me, so I can keep racing because that's why I do it. I don't I don't do sponsor things. For any other reason other than it helps me to keep racing. Yeah. You know, so. Do you still learn? Are you still learning? Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, I, I, not only uh, uh, touring car masters, which we've talked about quite a lot, but I raced GT cars for a long time too with with Marinello. I used to race them with um, Pran- Prancing Horse. Yep. Um, and then uh, that became Marinello Motorsport, and a guy. Uh, business guy, a guy called Peter Edwards, is a lovely bloke, I've driven with him in GT races for quite a, quite a number of years, but I haven't this year, unfortunately, because, I mean, for, for various other reasons, but the, the challenge of driving a GT car is very different to the challenge of driving a Touring Car Masters car or a V8 Supercar, so it, I like that, you know, where it makes you work, makes you think. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not professing to be the best in the world at it or anything, but it's... You know, it, it's, it engages what sort of the, the, the sort of brain I have. I yeah. And um, in terms of your driving, what was you know, was there someone you looked up to, someone you uh, modelled yourself on, someone you you know, did you have a particular style you liked or um, style you feel you have, or you're pretty adaptable? Or oh, I'm quite adaptable, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whether I'm adaptable by birth or whether I'm adaptable by the fact that I've driven a lot of different yeah. cars, I'm not sure. But as a, I think the, the person that had the most impact on me was Alain Prost. Mm-hmm. I watched Alain Prost drive a number of times and he was just, I thought he was an artist. 
in a car. So his, his inputs were so smooth, mm. he was so just, you know, I just thought he was fantastic. And results would say that I was right. I mean, he, yeah, he won a lot of races. Won, um, but, you know, he, he was of my era, really, so it's not like I looked to him as a hero. Yeah. I, I don't think I really had any heroes. I had admiration for various people. But when you race against, you race against Jim Richards or Peter Brock or any of those people that were big names in the in the era, um, I mean, you just, you basically want to beat them. You don't, yeah. you know, you don't go, gee whiz, I'm racing against Peter Brock. I mean, I remember, yeah. you know, the first time I raced in an ATCC race against Peter Brock, and I mean, I... Wanted to beat him. I wanted to beat him. Yeah. Who was your toughest rivals? Who, who, are there any people that stick out, whether they were crazily quick and you thought, geez, I don't know if I can match that, or whether they were just really tricky people to, you know, bash panels <laughs> there is a, There is a difference between crazily quick yes. and yeah. hardcore. You know, yeah. I mean, there's, yep. there's hardcore races that are real hardcore. I, I think I'm, I was hardcore. I'm probably not as hardcore now, but I can be, if anyone... Harder to pass than a kidney stone. Rolls me up, and I still can be if I want to. It just depends how I want to play it. But if uh, you know, I had to play a bit. Of, I only raced recently at, at Wakefield Park in a Group N Mustang that's owned by a mate of mine, and this bloke was giving me a rough up. So I was hardcore with him. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, uh, I'm still capable of it. But the, the hardcore guys like Alan Grice was hardcore. Russell Ingle was hardcore. Um, Larry could be if he wanted to be, and other times he could be relatively gentle and fair, you know, so so that Gricey and Russell Ingle are probably the two hardest score blacks I've raced. About in against. terms of pure speed, like if you're in a top ten shootout and someone's going out. Well Lowndes was always quick. Yeah. Um, always, you know, Lowndes had a great flair and he and he I still think he's got a great flair. Uh, Van Giz is, is I only raced against him when he was new. And, but he had this lounge-like flair where they don't drive in a conventional way, they drive in a, a flairy kind of way, you know. They, they, Do you mean they sort of slide the car but they keep yeah, the time so. in it? Yeah, yeah, they keep the time in it. Yeah. And they don't seem to kill their tyres any more than the bloke that's really very gentle. So, um, But, I mean, the drivers of today are, are fantastic drivers. I mean, they really are. There's more depth to the field than there ever was, of course. And there's some people that are further down the field that get labelled as a journeyman when, in fact, they're probably not. But, you know, the guys, are, there's, there's a reason Jamie Wincup has won all those races and championships, and he is exceptionally good at it. And he was basically good at it at the very beginning. The first year he raced, it's well chronicled that he drove for Gary Rogers in a Valvoline car, and Gary sacked him at the end of the year. So, most people, that would be the end. But I raced against him. I had a bit of a battle with him after a pit stop in Perth, and he was actually a very good driver. Now, there's, Gary's cars in those days, they weren't the same. You know, the two cars weren't the same. They are now, of course, but it's different now. So he subsequently proved himself, and, and I remember when Jason Richards was, Jason Richards was, was a very good friend of mine. I didn't, I haven't got many friends in, I didn't have many friends in the, in the supercar world, and I still don't have that many supercar world um, but Jason was, was shocked by Jamie's pace when he came along because Jason flogged Murph yep. you know made Murph look not as good as, as he possibly was and um, and Jace was like that and, and he was shocked how good Jamie was and Jamie continued and continued to improve and when he got to triple eight he just took off you know so 
So you've got to look at the results. I, I, um, I, I've got a very high regard of uh, Will Davison too, for instance, who's, who's probably the most dedicated, one single-minded racing driver I've ever come across, including me. Uh, but, you know, he's not having a great year, and unfortunately in this world, you're as good as your last results. You know, yeah. it's very fickle. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody <laughs> to be a racing driver, I tell you. Yeah, it sounds good, but it sounds... Uh, <laughs> it only sounds good when it's a Yeah, boy. that's right. Um, let's finish off with a few quick reader questions, because yeah. uh, there, there were a few that people wanted to know about. Let's start with... There was a couple of driving questions, and what do you think... I mean, you've done instruction over the years, you've had your own school at times, you've done, you know, V8 race days. What's the one thing most people get wrong with when they're trying to drive quick? And if someone wants to improve their lap times, so like, and they're, they're just a beginner, What's the one thing you think that will give a biggest improvement? Like vision, braking, steering, control, what could it be? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's a driving quickly, whether it be on the road or on the racetrack. The racetrack's quite different to the road, but it's very complex. It's, it's about you know, depth, judgment, all sorts of things. But the one, if you had one thing to do, you know, get your eyes up. A lot of people just look right here. They, you've got to really raise your eyes and look way ahead way ahead of your car because you, you then will push the car further, push it push it more. So that's probably the, the single, if there's one single thing, and yeah. there's more than one single thing, but if I had to pick one, that, that's the one I'd pick. Okay, excellent. Uh, supercars Future Direction. Now, obviously, a few couple of, you're quite outspoken on your Facebook page about supercars rounds and driver issues and everything. What do you feel as uh, supercars goes into Gen 2 next year? Introducing turbo V6s, other is it? What are your? Op, what do you find optimistic about it? And what are your hesitations with it? Well, I, I think um, I look. Supercars is a fantastic show. You go to the races if you go this weekend. It'll be an awesome show. It'll be like, you know, as entertaining and as good as anything you can see in the country, in this country by miles, as as a entertainment medium. And I don't have anything against turbos. I mean, the whole world is going turbocharged. This this car's turbocharged. Yeah. I mean, a mate of mine's just bought a new little Golf. It's got a little turbo engine in it. So everything is turbocharged. So I don't see anything wrong with the turbo issue. I think what people get carried away with is is the, the fact that there aren't any factories in it. Mm. The only factory that has any involvement at all is Holden, and how long they stay in for is anybody's guess. But we had ATCC racing before factories. Yeah. There were no factories involved then, only arguably Holden. So, you know, the motorsport will, will survive without a without a factory, without manufacturer interest. They'll find a way. Yeah, well, of course they will, because the teams will find a way. The, uh, the only issue I have with it is it's too expensive. Yeah. And it's too expensive bef because the, 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 the teams have made it be too expensive and the teams actually run their own race you know behind the scenes they have a board and they have you know they make decisions so the, the fact that they have all the practice and all the all the R&D and the turbo engines will possibly make it more expensive mm -hmm. possibly uh, but you know the world's changing you know yeah. V8 normally aspirated engines much as we all love them like a dead duck, really. So, if you want to go and see them, go and watch the Touring Car Masters. Yeah, that's right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I don't think everybody will be running a, a turbo engine next year or no. the year after, for that matter. There will be a phase where the V8s may fade away or they may stay. 
their, their mission statement is that the turbo engine will have parity, which is very hard to do because, uh, you know, a turbo engine makes lots of torque. It's also very susceptible to, to engine mapping and stuff. So it's going to be a big job for the category to keep the parity. But they have some good people, so, you know, I don't, I don't write it off at all. I think it's a terrific show. Uh, if, if there's one thing I wish for it to do is to achieve some reduction in budget so it's just not so expensive. So then you could get some, uh, you know, Dunlop series teams that aspire to going up there and doing it. You know, at the moment, there's no way they can. The budget. The budget. F2 to F1. Exactly, like yeah, the budget's just too huge. So they need to get that out of it some, to some degree. So, um, but you know, I, I, I think it's, if you go along as an entertainer, go, I want to go to the races this weekend, you'll go home thinking, wow, that was good. I mean, I, the last round, it was a, f a fabulous race. I was there just as, you know, in a capacity as a, you know, a, I don't know, PR capacity, really, I suppose. An observer. An observer. And it was just an awesome race. So, you know, it's, good to, it's a good show. So they just, if they could achieve that cost-cutting thing, somehow and to be honest I don't understand why Kia or Hyundai or somebody don't get into it but they don't you probably know more than I know. <laughs> um, we'll finish off with a bucket list question you've driven all sorts of things open wheelers touring cars you know more than you can count but if you had to have a day one car one track if, if I can provide that to you what are you picking? Uh, Maybe a uh, an FW07 Williams that Alan Jones won the world championship in. Oh yeah, yep. At say Spa or something. Okay. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, that wouldn't be out of that car lives in Australia. Gets yeah, race. that's true. That's true. Yeah. Let's make it happen. If you yeah. own that car, <laughs> JB wants to drive it. It'll be a lot of money. We'll oh, I to, know the guy that does. We'll get it to the Spa Historics. It'll be awesome. Eh? We'll win the race. It'll be awesome. <laughs> it? It'd be, a, you know, I mean, that, that, even the little March I race. It's got staggering capability, even though it's 40. Yeah, you forget. 42, I mean, 42, 43 years old. It's still got staggering capability. Really, really serious grip. More grip than anything. It's got big tyres, but it hasn't got ground effects or anything. So the the Alan Jones car must be amazingly grippy. You know, where uh, I drove ground effects cars, but they were. Atlantic cars and yep. Formula 2 cars and stuff. And they had lots of grip, but a, an F1 car with ground effects, wow, you know. There you go. Yeah. We'll so see that, what happens. Hopefully next time we'll have you back on the podcast. And I, maybe I wouldn't even mind it. driving a, a little M3 Evo at Spa if you can organise that yeah, for okay. me. You know, cause <laughs> I raced a... Have you raced at Spa? No, no, oh, no. Okay. I'd like to. Then. Um, we're going to go back. My friend Joe Collegia has got that old Corvette. I've raced a few times. We, he wants to take it back to Goodwood next year, so hopefully I'll go back to Goodwood and I'll be able to put my old, you know, old clothes back on yep. and the tie and the and uh, yeah, play the part of an old gent. Yeah, excellent, fantastic. Well, that's a good place to end. Thank you very much for your time today, JB. It's been pleasure, a pleasure talking with you. Hopefully, you've enjoyed hearing some of JB's thoughts. As ever, Scotty, as uh, as I, when I first met you, <laughs> I knew you'd be a good journalist. In fact, I don't know whether you remember, but I did oh. ring the editor of the time at Unique Cars about you, and you ended up you are a good journalist. Oh, so there well, you go. So, you, so I'm a good picker of people. He's going to make he's going to make me blush. <laughs> <laughs>
but yeah, it's been a great chat. It's always a great chat. I've been chatting with JB. He loves cars, loves driving, and a great ambassador for, for the sport, for motor racing in general. So hopefully you've enjoyed this. As ever, let us know in the comments what you thought, if you anything else you want us to cover, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Performance Car Podcast. See ya.